morning, good morning, church. Good morning, Rock Creek. Glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 22, Luke chapter 22. It will also be on the screen, or you can use your phones or iPads if you're using our church app. Uh, there's a Bible embedded in that as well. We have spotty uh, internet access, so hopefully it works. We've uh, we've jacked it up as high as we can, as fast as we can. So uh, for those of you who brought your paper Bibles, uh, that would clear up some space. We appreciate that. So we uh, just finished a series called Wrestling with God. Alex and I preached uh, that series, uh, taking various topics and kind of wrestling and grappling with the truth and what that means for us. Uh, Alex did an incredible job of, of delivering that. He does an incredible job, not only of of leading us in worship, but also um, being able to uh, preach a lot and grow a lot. He's been out of seminary for o- over a year now, uh, correct? More than that. Less than that. Awesome. Last May. Okay. Uh, so uh, he is growing before eyes. We appreciate him um, beyond belief. I know he doesn't like us talking about him when he's here, so whenever he's not here, we can uh, kind of dote on him a little bit. Uh, today, like we do every first Sunday of the month, uh, we will celebrate communion at the conclusion of this sermon. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at communion. So again, if you have your Bibles, it's Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles in every, almost every seat in front of you. You can grab one of those as well. We're going to be in Luke 22 verses 14 through 20. Let's read uh, this together. When the hour came, Jesus and his, his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, This Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again until the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, a lot of times we approach this table, uh, if you're a church like ours or some other churches, uh, I have a buddy's church in uh, Portland, they, they take communion every single Sunday, uh, or for ours, we do it the first Sunday of every month. It, we run the risk of it becoming routine. We, we run the risk of, okay, we got to line up on the sides, walk down the aisle like some cattle, take it, walk back up the middle, have a seat, do our thing, eat the bread, drink the cup, and, and move on. Uh, I've been in ministry um, most of my adult life. I've never preached a sermon on communion. Uh, I've talked to people about communion. I've taught on communion, but I've never uh, preached a sermon. And as we were walking through the Wrestling with God series, I thought, man, this is actually a good wrestling topic, this idea of communion. What should we be thinking about when we approach communion? What's the significance of it? What should be going through our minds? How do we approach this table? More so than, well, this is just what we do. I go to church. I've done it ever since I was a little kid. I take the bread, I take the cup, and then this is just what we do as routine. 
And so we're going to unpack this. Growing up, I remember my older sister who lives down in Colorado Springs. She comes down, uh, comes up here sometimes. She worked at a store. Some of you will remember this store called Things Remembered. Anybody ever bought something from Things Remembered? Yeah, it's an interesting store. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Things Remembered. It offers several items that you can get something engraved. Uh, it could be like an anniversary clock, you know, those ones that spin. It could be a plaque. Uh, it could be uh, something that's plated gold uh, that remembers an anniversary or a wedding or a, or a birthday or a funeral or, or something like that. And many, many people purchase these items from this store to have them engraved in honor either of a person or in honor of a specific Event And I can specifically remember as a kid going to the Things Remembered store when my sister worked there and just looking at all the stuff that's in there. You can almost find anything to engrave. And for some people, they like to receive these kind of gifts to remember something. Uh, sometimes you'll get this after uh, 25 years at your company and you'll get something engraved or you'll get something uh, to remember uh, a loved one passing away or whatever it might be. Sometimes they're happy times. Sometimes they're just significant times. And not all, but a lot of our memories are precious. A lot of our memories are precious. Why? Because events come and go, correct? Correct. We, we think about that with our kids. You hear all the time, enjoy this time. Your, your kids are growing up. They'll be over be t- before you know it. Don't rush it. Don't hurry it. They're going to be out of the house. And remember these moments. They keep us connected to people and places and events that have shaped us and influenced our lives. That's what our memories do. Some of memories we wish we could forget. In fact, if we were to go around this room from, uh, from a student level to all the way uh, up to old adult, we could go and go, man, I wish I could forget this memory. I, I wish this would be erased from my mind. And yet, good and bad memories shape who we are. We have things that we have in our lives like war monuments that we wish those wars never existed and yet they tell a story. We have personal life unpleasantries that you today, here, right now, you wish you could forget. You wish you could uh, literally just erase that from your mind. And yet, often our memories create lasting memories that shape our character. They shape our worldview. They, They shape how we live day to day. At the Last Supper... Jesus shared a meal with his disciples, and then he led them in an ancient observance. And some of your uh, versions of the scriptures will describe this as the feast of the unleavened bread, or what is commonly referred to as the Passover. For some of you, this is going to be brand new. You've never really understood communion. You never have been explained what exactly this is. You may have been told, well, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus that has been shed for you. Do so in remembrance of me. For some of you, either present here or listening online, that's the extent of what you've been taught. And yet it goes so much deeper than that night in the upper room. Jesus 
the rabbi, if you would, if you, if you remember a, a, maybe a year or so ago, uh, Mark in one of his sermons was talking about Jesus being the rabbi and what it means to follow the teacher. And Jesus, this rabbi, this master teacher, uses this opportunity in the upper room to plant an important memory in the hearts of his disciples. That's, that's the intent of this evening. And it's an opportunity for them to share a very, very important meal for that which is still to come. Jesus raises the bread and he takes the cup in thanksgiving and then he adds a different ritual to the Passover feast. Luke 22 records that Jesus told his disciples to observe the Passover now not based on the events that happened in Exodus, but there's a fundamental shift. He says, from now on, you do this not because of what was on the doorpost in Exodus, but you do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes we can gloss over this and go, yeah, that just seems normal. For the disciples, for those sitting in the upper room, it was like emergency break, time out, what are you talking about? And here's the shift. Jesus took an old symbol, an old practice, an old event, and he brought with it new meaning. The meaning of Jesus' words rooted in his command to remember. That's the whole emphasis for this morning is to remember. And as today's disciples, did you know that you were a disciple? Sometimes we can read the scriptures And yet, as we prepare like Jack and Mandy about to go do their events, you, in your workplace, with your neighbors, at your job tomorrow, with your kids, you are a disciple. Sometimes we can view ourselves lower than we ought to, and yet you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Some denominations refer to this ordinance, the the Lord's Supper. We will refer to this as a memorial supper to highlight the significance of Christ's atoning work on that cross, just to remember what he did on the cross. It's a call for the believer to look at the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Others will call it communion, which is what we refer to it, to highlight the believer's intimacy with Christ. Whatever we call it, whatever we refer to this observation, the call is clear, and that is to remember. We do that with loved ones. We often refer to a particular date. Remember when dad passed away. Remember when grandpa passed away. Remember when when this happened. Remember when we bought our house. Remember when we went on vacation. It was two years ago that we did this. We remember those things. Why? Because they hold some significance for us. So what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack three very specific significance as we approach this table. This is for us, for the believer and follower of Christ, every time we take communion, whether you're here at the church, at Rock Creek Church, or you're on vacation somewhere and you visit a church and they take communion, or you go somewhere else and they partake in communion, you're in your life group and you have communion during one of your studies, this is the significance that should be rolling through our mind 
on a regular basis. So I want to walk through three of these. The first one is we remember the historical significance. We must remember as we approach the table, we cannot just jump to the personal. We cannot just jump to what it means to me, which is what we're really good in life about doing. But we must remember the significant historical event. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread is the historical background and the establishment for the Lord's Supper. Exodus chapter 12 presents the final chapter in God's miraculous rescue of Israel from Egypt when they were in slavery. It's otherwise described as the plague of the judgment of the firstborn. I would encourage you, if you're fairly new to the scriptures or it's been quite some time, uh, take, take a moment either today or sometime this week and pull up Exodus chapter 12 and just read the events that took place. The angel of death is to pass over a household and a family had to put blood from a sacrificed lamb on the doorframe of their house and eat the Passover meal as the Lord had prescribed This lamb and the meal of the unleavened bread became a predominant symbol of those who were followers of Christ through the hoped-for Messiah. And it was Israel's deliverance from bondage. The people were told, celebrate this, remember this, do not forget this, because this is a symbol of the Lord's rescue. And this would happen on a regular basis to remember this. This is why they would have the Passover meal, to remember this specific historical event. And as Jesus' disciples watched and listened to his words, while they partook of the Passover meal, they would have understood the significance of the historical event. But what they did not fully understand And sometimes what we today do not fully understand is until after the bloody crucifixion of the cross and the miraculous resurrection, it was the transformation of what the Jewish feast once was of remembrance into a new symbol of remembering what Jesus is. And that's something that we tend to forget. Sometimes we fall into the trap of going to the Lord's table and remembering only what it is for me today. It's forgiveness for me. It's grace for me. It's mercy for me. And it is, and we'll get there. But a really healthy starting point is to remember the historical significance That's why you'll see some churches in the Orthodox tradition or or the Catholic tradition, which I really, really enjoy, is they significantly formalize the Lord's Supper. They significantly formalize some of these events to remember. A number of years ago, my beautiful bride, Sandy, and I went to uh, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, Gatlinburg. And uh, anybody ever been to Gatlinburg, Smoky Mountains, Tennessee? Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous area. We spent a week at a condo uh, there. Actually, it was a number of years ago because Naomi was two. Uh, So it was many, many years ago. 
um, but it was an incredible time of hiking and horseback riding and, and me losing the cards to Sandy over and over and over, uh, watching movies, uh, going out to dinner. We, we did all of these different things, but we also visited a number of uh, state and federal protected lands of old homesteads and, and old farms and old churches and, and old cathedrals that were used predominantly during the Civil War time. I'm a huge history buff. I love those times. I, I love the Civil War remembrances. I love reading about it. I love visiting those sites. And we took several tours of some of these sites where we would kind of go off the beaten path and, and be able to peer into the windows of some of these old homesteads. And a few of the churches uh, were open to the public and you could go in and you would sit in, some of you, this is a new term, but the pews. Don't ask me why we would call them pews, but they're, they're wooden benches that someone thought were super comfortable. And so that's, you would sit in those. And I would literally walk into some of these church buildings and I would just sit in a pew and I would just face forward. I could close my eyes and it was almost as if I could go back to those moments during the Civil War and remember what is being preached on and the community coming together and probably praying for peace and praying for those who they lost in the war. And it was like, I could go back to those places. And it was unbelievable. Sandy, not so much. She just wanted to hike and, and go horseback riding. But for me, I just kind of got lost in that moment. And literally an event, a war that took place over 150 years ago, almost 153 years ago, still has significance if you go back to the place to remember. If you go back to the cemetery to remember. If you go back to the restaurant of your first date, to remember. If you drive by your first house, hopefully to forget. Maybe to remember, some of you to forget. But we do this. And though imperfect regarding the Civil War, as we remember, we still enjoy the freedoms secured by that war through the heroic service of our grandparents and ancestors and strangers that fought and died. We remember those things. And I know it was a long time ago. The Bible's old. Jesus is really old. Creation is even older. This book that we study is unbelievable old. But the God who acted in history to deliver his people has also acted in the history today with you to deliver you, in your circumstances, in your life. It's a very personal thing. And the elements that are used in communion, much to the dismay of some theologies, it is not the body of Christ. It is not the blood of Christ. It does not somehow morph into a miraculous moment where you eat the flesh of Christ. You might be sitting here going, okay, that's weird. That's a common thought. It is not true. I can assure you, Mimi purchases the bread from King Super and the grape juice from King Super. Um, and it tastes like King Super. <laughs> but it is a remembrance of what Jesus did that this actually did happen. Sometimes we run the risk of only highlighting the cross at Easter. 
Sometimes the cross only has deep significance when we have a, a moving Good Friday service. But this actually happened. And communion, the Lord's Supper, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Memorial Supper, whatever we choose to call it, is a time for us to remember what he did centuries ago that still impacts our life today. The second significance that I want to talk about is the rescuing significance. This is where it begins to get a little bit more personal. In communion, we remember the rescuing significance. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, now that is a guy I can't wait to see in heaven. You guys have some people you can't wait to see? I want to see what Ruth looked like. I want to see what John the Baptist looked like. I want to see what Paul looked like. There's several people who I'd like to see. John the Baptist is at the top of the list. Uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching and he cries out, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, he's there, the Lamb of God. That guy right there is going to take away the sin of the world. And John clearly, the rest of the way, proclaims the reason for Jesus' even coming to earth is the fulfillment of what the Passover lamb had foreshadowed. It is the fulfillment, it is the climax of the story of God rescuing his people, of not only rescuing his people, of him rescuing you in your struggle, in your sin. We talked about this last week. Do you ever get to the point where you're sick and tired of your sin? I mean, honestly. Do you get to the point where you're getting ready for work, you're in the shower, you're making dinner, and you're like, I am so done with sin. I hope to God sin bothers you, friends. May we never get complacent and okay with the sin that's in our heart. It's only there to burn us. It's only there to destroy us. And John the Baptist says, look, that's the guy who's going to take away the sin of the world. And you see in Exodus 12, the, the lamb was sacrificed for the deliverance of one family, that's Israel, at the cross. The Lamb of God was sacrificed to deliver the whole world from the power and penalty of sin. You see, there's such a significant shift from the traditional historical Passover meal to what the new covenant describes. It's no longer to the family of Israel. It's to all of us. It's to the people you work with that you go, there's no way on the face of this planet, I don't care how big God is, there's no way that person's going to surrender to Christ. That meal's for them. That cross is for them. The Passover lamb served as a substitute for the firstborn of Israel. Jesus serves as a substitute for humanity. And without the death of the lamb back in the day and spreading it on the doorpost, the children of Israel would have suffered the judgment of God. And without the shedding of the blood of Jesus and his substitutionary death, we would have no hope for being rescued. There's a book out that's called The Tale of the Tardy, Tardy Ox Cart. Have any of you ever read this by Chuck Swindoll? Great book if you're looking for, some of you ask me all the time, do you have any good books? This is, a, this is one that I, I would strongly recommend, The Tale of the tar, Tardy Oxcart, easy for me to say. It relates to the story of an eight-year-old Kenyan girl, her name's Monica, who fell into a pit and broke her leg. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil everything for you. 
She falls into a pit and breaks her leg. An older woman, seeing what happens to this girl, climbs into the pit to rescue dear little Monica. In the pit, a black mamba, not Kobe Bryant, but a black mamba, the most poisonous snake in all of Africa, bites both Monica and the woman. For some of you, you're squirming right now because you're afraid of snakes, and this is your worst nightmare. Both ladies were rushed to a medical center. Monica improved pretty quickly, but tragically, the old woman who jumped in with her died. A nurse missionary explained to then eight-year-old Monica that the woman who had jumped in was bitten first, and thus she received all of the mamba's poison. And when the snake bit Monica, it didn't have much poison left at all. The nurse went on to explain to her that Jesus had similarly, similarly taken the poison of our sin so that we can live and proceeded to share the gospel with her. And that day, eight-year-old Monica gave her life to Christ because she realized the substitutionary place that the old woman had played in her life. People have a lot of ideas about who Jesus is. People have a lot of opinions on what church is. They have a lot of opinions on what we do with faith. Most of them are wrong. In fact, I would say a lot of Christians' ideas on what the church is and what our faith is can be wrong at times. Why Jesus even came to earth and who he is today for us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that he came to seek and to save what was lost. Not just once and for all, but on a regular basis. Friends, we do that. We have weeks where we're just lost. It's a hard week. We're stumbling around. We're looking for direction. We're looking for hope. We're looking for significance, but we're just a little bit lost. Jesus came for that moment. When you're trying to figure out your business, when you're trying to figure out your finances, when you're trying to figure out how to raise kids, when you're trying to figure out what's the best decision for this, Jesus came to help seek and save the lost, to give direction, to give hope for you and me. And when we gather around the Lord's table, again, this is a significance. When we end this sermon and we come to this table, this is one of the significance of what we do. The elements speak to us of the sacrifice of Jesus, his substitution, but also his rescue for our salvation. We remember that. We think about that. We don't ever want to dwell too much on our uh, on our uh, ability to not deserve that. There's a healthy element of that. There's a healthy element of going, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I give you every reason to turn around and walk away from me. There's some health to that. But we don't want to camp out there. We want to think that and then receive the gift. You ever give a gift to someone and they're like, oh, no, you shouldn't have. Oh, I don't deserve this. Oh, no, you shouldn't have. And in your mind, you're going, take the stupid gift. I went to the store. I thought about you. I wrapped it. I don't even like wrapping. I gave it to you. Take the gift before I hit you. Sometimes we do that with Jesus. But when we go to the table, we celebrate him rescuing us and loving us. And it's the powerful message of the gospel. And friends, that's why we remember that's why we tune our mind and our hearts to this table. Last significance, and this is 
personal. It is the personal significance of what we remember when we approach this table. You see, Jesus is way bigger than you. He's way bigger than your problems. He's way bigger than your stresses. He's way bigger than your finances. He's way bigger than the problems you face throughout a week. I know that. You know that. But sometimes we can just get too focused on us. He's way bigger than that. At the same time, he's willing to come as a man on earth to enter into your struggle, to your difficulty. Luke 22, verses 19 and 20 records Jesus' words. This is my body given for who? Go ahead. You. This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It doesn't just say, this is my body that's been given. This is uh, the new covenant in my blood, which has been poured out. There's a personalness to Jesus. There's a personalness to this faith. Sometimes we can feel so alone. Sometimes we can feel like our struggle is only ours. But Jesus is so clear at the pinnacle of turning the tide that he says, this is for you. He personalizes these statements with this profound pronoun, you. And Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be arrested for them, suffer for them, be persecuted for them. He was going to die for them. And true, Jesus would die for everyone, but what the, for what the Bible describes as the sins of the world. Yes, that happens. But his disciples heard Jesus says, I'm doing this for you. For you. This is very personal for me. I'm doing this for you. If you're like me, you receive a lot of junk mail more than any significant mail. I go to the, Mimi warned me, but I go to the P.O. box to get our mail. And the first time I went there, if you've, if you've ever gone to the P.O. box, they have ginormous recycle bins everywhere. And that's because... I'd say 99% of what goes in a P.O. box is trash. No offense to any of you who do marketing. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is just for me. Maybe not for you. But literally, I, I went there this week, and, I, and I, uh, it had been a few days. Mimi warned me, go there twice a week. I only went once last week, so shame on me. And literally, I, I, I don't know if air could fit in the box. And so I pulled all of it out, and it was literally like this like this much, and our P.O. box is this big. And I, also, I don't know how the ladies in there shoved it all in, but it was shoved in there. And I walked away with two letters out of all of that. Just a bunch of stuff that I threw away. And I do this at home, and sometimes you'll get it addressed to the occupant or the resident of, Right? Hopefully you're not super excited when you get mail. I usually let the kids open those, make them feel special, deceive them. 
or it's got a computer-generated label, even though it has your name, but it's computer-generated. And, and like for me, it's all like my name's always spelled wrong. Either I have a Y in my name or an E in my last, and I'm like, whatever. They don't even know who I am. It's not personal at all. But if you get a personal piece of mail, let's say it's handwritten, all of us, I don't care who it is, there's, this, there's an element of us that goes, huh, that's for me. And we wonder, okay, is it bad news or is it good news? But nevertheless, we know it's personal. We know it's been written to us. Naomi, you guys can use this against her, yes. loves mail. If, if you want Naomi's love language, write on a piece of paper, hi, and mail it to her. She will feel like you love her. Why? Because it's personal. So it took time. And the message of Jesus is personal. This table is personal. And one of the most difficult things we can do is to implement onto this table just routine, just going through the motion. It's the church thing we do, and we leave the personalness out of us. This is personal. This is a handwritten letter to you. Can we take that too far? Can we make it only about me? Absolutely, but we can also go the other way, and we can make it church routine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives an instruction concerning the Lord's table, and he reminds the Corinthian Christians of two things, their personal salvation in Christ, and that participation in his supper carries inward and outward aspects. Inwardly, Christians are to examine themselves spiritually before partaking. If there's sin, you are to take the bread and the cup and wrestle with your sin. Come to God and ask for forgiveness. If you need to talk to someone, send a text, send an email, walk across the room, make things right. We are to examine ourselves inwardly and outwardly, Christians proclaim through the table of the Lord's death until he returns. As we get ready to close, I, I want to remind you that in observing the Lord's Supper, it carries very personal significance because Jesus calls us to remember that he gave his body for you. That means he died for you. If you would, he took a bullet for you. We read about stories of, of police officers and teachers and good citizens, good Samaritans that give their life for someone else so that one could live. And man, we highlight them beyond belief and we have a Savior who did that for you. Went to that cross so that you don't, you don't have to endure judgment. You don't have to endure the pain of persecution. You don't, you don't get that. Paul said that our observance of communion is to be done to help us to remember Christ. And one could argue that we are never more the church than when as a family we come and eat at the table. And we remember. Sometimes through tears, sometimes through unbelievable thanksgiving, but Man, sometimes we're never more the church than, than doing this together.
the historical, the rescuing, and the personal significance very heavy on our hearts. I hope this was a little bit helpful in unpacking why we do communion, what communion is, what we should be thinking about, how do we teach our kids about this so that we can enjoy and feel all the emotions that come with that, but also look at the realities. May we never, ever forget the significance of the Lord's table. So I want to encourage you as, as we take a, a few moments, when you're ready, uh, the table is a call for all to remember what Jesus did for you. I'll ask that you indulge us with the formality of going on the sides to the table and then going back to your seat in the middle. You can take it right away. You can take it back to your seat and just have some time with the Lord. He can handle anything you say to him. Anything. Just remember who you're talking to. But he can handle it. So let's do that. Let's take a moment and, and when you're ready, come and enjoy.